0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Colossians in chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. And I'll be reading from the New International Version. Colossians 3, 12 to 14, Paul speaks to the family of Christ in the city of Corinth. Words of encouragement, words that would help us to apply our action in life to one another. He speaks these words. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. May God help us to apply these words to our lives. Good morning.
1: Open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 12. That's going to be where our text is today. We're working our way through the story. Let me begin by sharing this. I I don't know the author, but I thought it was um, worth hearing. All good and lasting stories are built the same. Stories are told through the hero, the one who lives the story. Stories begin in the ordinary world, a place of comfort, that the hero must ultimately leave. Stories start with an inciting incident, an event without which there would be no story. And stories are about deliverance, the journey that frees and redeems the hero and his world. Why? Because the purpose of the story... His new life, little Simba, the future Lion King, following in the ordinary world of the Pride Lands until the inciting incident of his father's death makes him a fugitive. But through the call of his father, he's delivered from the guilt and from the shame. Why? So that everything can be different, so that Scar can be defeated, so the Pride Lands can flourish, and the circle of life can keep circling. Darling Dorothy running away to save her dog when the inciting incident of the twister drops her in Oz. But finally, the guidance of the good witch Glenda delivers her from separation, from loss. Why? So that everything could be different, so that she could learn the love of her family and the value of home and even little Toto could be saved. The purpose of story is new life. Why is that? But who built the story? And what's he trying to tell? Faithful Naomi in a pagan land, when the death of her husband makes her a widow, but through the love of her daughter in law, she's delivered from loneliness and loving Ruth, a widow herself, supporting Naomi by scavenging in the fields when the kindness of Boaz delivers her from poverty. Why? So everything could be different so that Naomi could be cared for, so that Ruth could have children, and the family line of Jesus could march on. And you, if God finds you in your ordinary world of a partying student or a busy wife or a comfy retiree, if God barges in with an inciting incident of an invitation accepted, or a tumor discovered, or a marriage broken, If God redeems you through deliverance, through deliverance from sin and judgment and death, why does he do that? So that everything could be different. So that your mind and your heart and your marriage and your family and your job and your kids could all be made new. That is the purpose of every good story. That's the purpose of God's work in you. That's new life. It doesn't always happen like that. Not in the movies, not in your life, and not in the Bible. Saul was chosen by God, crowned by Samuel as Israel's king, divided a nation, disobeyed God, became a paranoid mess. So God sent David to take his crown, and David, the virtuous warrior, a man after God's own heart, becomes a peeping tom, steals a wife, kills a husband. So God sent Nathan to wake him up. You ever read a story like that? A story where the hero so desperately needs somebody to come in and give him a helping hand, A word of advice, a kick in the pants. Simba had his father. Dorothy had the good witch Glinda. Marlon had Dory. Neil had Morpheus. Bilbo had Gandalf. Luke had Obi-Wan and Yoda. But why? Because the writers of all good stories instinctively know that the hero isn't strong enough or brave enough or virtuous enough to save themselves. And how do they know that? Because it's the state we're all in. And the author, the author of our story isn't finished writing. Because over and over when we stand tall or when we fall flat, when we beg for help, God responds. And even when it seems like our story is at an end, he steps in, turns the page, and creates something new. Today we continue with the story. And what we see as God's people, the suspense is building. Things are happening and we see God responding. See, when Solomon was king, he disobeyed God in several ways. We talked about that last week. And it's, it was kind of disheartening because he started off so well. I mean, he asked for, for discernment and God gave him not just wisdom but, but wealth as well. But he turned his back and his response, the kingdom was split in two. I put this at the top of your study guide. Division is a good word to describe our culture today. We're talking about a kingdom divided in two, but that word division is not just applicable to, to 930 B.C. in Israel. In America, we're dividing our politics. There's conflict in the workplace. There, there's tension in our homes. There's even division within churches. But God's will is for us to live in harmony and peace without tension and without division, without alienation, without conflict. He wants us to foster unity whenever it's possible. Psalm 133, verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. In Paul's words, Romans twelve eighteen, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But in chapter 14 of the story... It's 1 Kings chapter 12 through chapter 16. What we see here is the word division. We see a kingdom that's been torn in two. See, during the time of David and Solomon, when, when you read it like a story and you really get the picture, what you see is David and Solomon enjoyed a time in, in, the, in, in the kingdom of Israel that was sort of the heyday. It was, it was the best. I mean, David was a warrior of warriors. And everybody knew that. So much so that when Solomon took over, he didn't have to worry about being a warrior. He had peace. In fact, Solomon's name means peace. This was a heyday. This was a, a good time. Things were really going well. Those were, as we might say, the glory the days or, or the good old days. But today we learned what went wrong. And maybe we can learn not just what went wrong, but how to learn from those mistakes. Not just, you know, in a kingdom necessarily, but in a church. Our own home, and our own life. So we can see some pitfalls that we should avoid. See, after Solomon died, the nation of Israel divided. The ten tribes that were in the north aligned themselves under the man Jeroboam, that became known as Israel. At the same time, the, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin were down in the south. They were loyal to. I always called it Rehoboam, but Ray Vanderlind Wednesday night called it Rehoboam. I figured he's right. So I'm going to try to follow him. I thought Rehoboam, that's probably the southern way to say it. But he was also the son of Solomon. This heir became known as Judah. Back in 1 Kings 11, God had picked Jeroboam to be the next king. But that didn't sit well with Solomon because that wasn't his son. He wanted his own son on the throne. So Solomon tries to kill Jeroboam. Jeroboam has to run away for his own life, goes to Egypt. Until Solomon dies. 1 Kings 11 verse 43. It says, Then he rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father. And Rehoboam his son succeeded him as king. We you see the problem we've got? We've got one nation and two kings. How is that a good thing? I mean, everybody knows it's not going to work. Barry Cameron had this to say Anything with two heads belongs in the sideshow I think that sums it up pretty well And matters are only going to get worse and worse As we read through the story of a divided kingdom I want us to learn three lessons The first one is this The past can bring division or unity in the future The past can bring division or unity in the future It'll be one or the other But not both so the kingdom of Israel was is split, and the question is, why? What happened to them? I mean, they were, they, were, they were going so well. I mean, God was blessing them. It was victory and victory and victory. Then we have this massive division coming to an entire nation. And I think if we trace it back, and we can, we just studied it last week, it all points back to Solomon and the choices he made, the legacy that he left. See, during Solomon's reign, we studied this, he was very aggressive. God told him he would bless him with wealth. But he didn't wait on God to bless him with wealth. He took it the old fashioned way by heavily taxing his own people. He also had the hardest labor that was expected from his own citizens as people. He had these aggressive building projects. He purchased ships, had his own navy, his own amass, mass debt, I mean, mass wealth of his own. But he came from his own people. He taxed his own people. That's how he funded it all. So what we know is the decisions we make today will affect the future. It's just the the fact of life. It's true in your home. It's true at work. It's true in relationships. Think of it this way. Our present decisions will affect future generations. They will lead either to blessings or to hardships. And it all comes back to choices that you make. As I read through these chapters, obviously you've studied the Bible before, they're they're somewhat familiar, but then when you read again, you pick up on things maybe you didn't read the first time or maybe haven't read in a while. But what I noticed, there's a a repeated phrase or, or an observation that appears over and over and over again. The writer is talking about either good or evil, but it talks about how they followed the one before them. For example, 1 Kings 15.26 is talking about Nadab, the son of Jeroboam. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, walking in the ways of his father and in his sin. And you contrast that to 1 Kings 15.11. Here it's talking about Asa. This is the great-grandson of King David. It says, Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. But don't just think of it in a collective sense, for a kingdom, or even for a church. We think of it in an individual sense as well, in our personal life, to see the impact. Your choices, your decisions make a difference. Not just now, but in the future as well. I mean, don't you want your, your children to be thanking God that you did the right thing? Thing, way back when? I know you, you can hear this kind of message and think, well, you know, you have no idea what kind of mess my life is in. You have no idea the kind of mistakes. I mean, it's just in shambles. And maybe so, but again, just like that, that little uh, article I read at the beginning, God specializes in making all things new and transforming stories. God loves to write a new ending. I mean, it seems to be just, just going to this, this crash and it's not going to go well. And God loves to save the day. He does it over and over again with His people. He loves to write a new ending that you're not expecting. But it begins with somebody making the right choice. Say, I'm going to make the right decision. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to follow Him. And that leads us to the second lesson. And that is, counsel can either hinder or help to build that Unity. Counsel can either hinder or help to build that unity. See, the advice that you're given, the voices that you listen to, it is so important. They can either help you or they can hurt you. Just because you get advice, that's not necessarily just a good thing. When Rehoboam in the southern section sought the counsel of the elders about whether to continue the the hard practices of, of his father Solomon, he asked him, what do you think I should do? That was a wise decision to ask. Those who are older, those who are wiser. And you remember their advice? Your dad was so tough on the people. I think it's time to let up a little bit. I think it's time to give them a break. They've been taxed, they've been burdened for so long. The wise choice for you to be let up a little bit. Well, he sought their counsel. But then he also turned to his young cronies and asked them their opinion. You remember, this was just the opposite. Look in the Bible there, 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 8 and 9. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father has put on us? And Rehoboam followed the counsel of the younger man who told him, now's the time to ramp it up a notch. Solomon might have been hard, but you can be even harder. Now's the time to just grind these people. Show them who is boss. And you read this out of the Bible and you think, that's not going to work. It's like everybody knows it's not going to work except for the ones who were doing it, but that's what Rehoboam did. If it was bad before, it's going to get worse. 2nd verse 14. My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. And the result of that decision, of that speech. The northern tribes separated from the southern. They withdrew. Israel was fractured. And again, the whole nation is divided. You, you track it back down here to bad advice. See, God's counsel, well, good counsel begins with going to see what the Bible says. What does the Bible say about that? And the next step is you, you take it to God in prayer. You ask Him for Wisdom. You know, there may not be a book, chapter, verse on what you're dealing with. So you go to God, and, and if the Bible doesn't deal with it specifically, then you pray and ask for wisdom, for discernment. And then that's followed up by talking to godly people that you respect. People who know you. They know your story. They know your heart. They know your motive. And you seek godly counsel. But it doesn't end there. You've got to take the next step. And that's follow the advice. You follow that godly, sound, scriptural advice. See, so many times when we pray, we read God's word, we seek advice, and then we don't follow through. We don't do what we're told to do. We think, "No, we're going to do it our own way. Just like Solomon. He started off well, but then he thought he knew better. And that's where we fall short. The Bible tells us over and over as you read through these chapters, there was continual warfare between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And, and they're listening to this counsel and it just causes the problems. That's one of the reasons why I always encourage people going through a difficulty to seek Christian counseling. Ask people who share the same Christian worldview as you. If you're a Christian, that's who you should seek. Not somebody who doesn't share those values, but someone who is, is following Christ. And as a church, we should be leading the way in this. Not necessarily just with Barry, what he does, and helping our families. Be each of us helping to, to foster that kind of relationship. You know, in, in Titus, it, it talks about disciple-making model for all of us. The older men should be building up and pouring into the younger men, and the older women should be doing the same thing for the younger women. It it describes that whole mindset of helping each other out, helping each other along. And then look in Titus 2, verse 7 and 8. Following that, it says, In everything, set them an example. By doing what is good, in your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. We need each other. This is not about young versus old or this group versus that group. In fact, one man said the church needs the vision and vitality of youth to be balanced with the wisdom and the experience of age. Let me show that again. The church needs the vision and the vitality of youth to be balanced with the wisdom and the experience of age. I think that's the right balance. Both are needed. Proverbs 15, 22, plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with, the, but with many advisors, they succeed. And we know that's true. The past can bring division or unity in the future. Counsel can hinder or help to build that unity. And here's the third, a solid faith in the truth creates unity. A solid faith in the truth creates unity. In other words, for peace to prevail... Basically, you've got the ultimate choice. You've got to choose the right God. It starts there. And it always comes back to that. You've got to move in that right direction, that God-honoring fashion. See, it wasn't just Rehoboam that, that got bad advice. Jeroboam did the same thing. 1 Kings chapter 12, look at verse 26 and following. This is, this is hard to believe. And when you read this, you think you've got to be kidding. Did this really happen? Jeroboam thought to himself, The kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to the Lord. Rehoboam, the king of Judah, they will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. Verse 28. After seeking advice. Notice that. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, It is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. One is set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people went as far as Dan to worship the one there. Do you see what's happening here? I mean, it's amazing. I mean, Jeroboam doesn't want the people to make their pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. He's scared. He's paranoid. If they go back there, they're going to give their allegiance to that other king. Rehoboam, the one that's David's line. When God blessed, when Jesus would come through, they come down to the temple in Jerusalem. They might move their allegiance to Jeroboam from Jeroboam and instead follow Rehoboam. So what's he thinking? So to me, it's just just ludicrous. He builds the two golden calves. It's like doesn't he remember his ancestors? And did he not hear the stories? To know how his own people did that? And God called them out and punished them? Was he sleeping during his own you know Sabbath class? Did he forget? I think he doesn't care. He doesn't care about God. He's so full of himself, he does his own thing, he's concerned about his kingdom. And, but just as I say that, let me ask this question. Are you ever like Jeroboam? And you know what's right. And you do wrong anyway. I am. And you are too. There's times where we know what's right. And we still choose to go our own way. Jeroboam doesn't just talk with idol worship. He goes on. If you remember, you read the story. He starts appointing these inappropriate priests. They're supposed to be from the tribe of Levi. He does his own thing, he chooses his own way. I don't have to follow God exactly. I'm sort of staying in line. First Kings 14, 8 and nine. God says to him, You have not been like my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart, doing only what is right in my eyes. And look at this you have done more evil than all who lived before you. What a statement. You have done more evil than all who lived before you. All? Even back in the days of Noah when God killed them all? Back in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah? More evil than all who lived before you. You made yourself other gods, idols made of metal. You have provoked me to anger and thrust me behind your back. Would you say God is ticked? Pretty angry, isn't he? But like you read that several times in, in, in this uh, these chapters about God becoming angry. Here at Jeroboam. But Jeroboam doesn't any better. Listen to what he does. In 1 Kings 14, God allows the king of Egypt to attack Judah. He ransacks the palace. Takes all the temple treasures and includes there the, the shields of gold. He's not phased. He goes, we'll make some more. We'll make some bronze ones. It's like... The message to me is clear. I don't need God. I don't need God's blessing. Do it my own way. Take the gold ones. We'll make bronze ones. We're still going to be okay. He decided just to bless himself. Do his own thing. Do his own way. He's the king. He's in control. Besides, his dad was Solomon, the wealthiest, wisest man who ever walked the earth. But what we know is it never works out well when we try to do it our own way. I keep coming back to Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. You know, these stories that I shared with you as you read through these chapters this week about these two kings, kind of dark, aren't they? Kind of depressing, really. But I don't want to leave you with bad news. There's a king who follows Rehoboam on the throne— He's the third king in Judah, actually. The grandson of Solomon, his name is Asa. In spite of the fact that his father was a sinful man, that his mom was pagan, he becomes one of Judah's most godly kings. But not because he followed in the steps of his parents. Or even his grandmother. His pagan grandmother had had her own Asherah pole in her house you remember one of the details we read about Asa when he became king? The first thing it is, he took out the pole and he debunked her as queen. His own family. He had to go against them. This is what the Bible says about Asa, and I want you to hear this. I alluded to this earlier. To me, it's just kind of redeeming. It gives you hope. 1 Kings 15, verse 11 and verse 14. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done. In verse fourteen, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all of his life. So we have a choice to make. Life is really about choices. Any story is about choices. What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? That's the choice. And really, every choice we make, even our daily choices, are because of that. I think it was a week ago, Friday, a lady I went to college with was traveling with her husband and three children down I-40. You may have seen it on the news. Truck crossed the median head-on collision. Killed her husband. Killed her and, and two children, oldest two. She, I mean, the husband and the 14-year-old son were taken to the hospital. I think it was Wednesday of this week. The dad had to tell his son, who was calling out for his mother, that she was gone. Family of five driving down the interstate on their way to a wedding. You and I buzz up and down the interstate all the time. For some, it's daily. Get in, buckle up, go. We take it for granted. When it's your time to go, whatever that is. What do you want those people closest to you to say? What about this? Your heart was fully committed to. To the Lord, all your life. If we want to be remembered for the right things, if you want to leave a legacy, what you know is it's not about stuff, it's not about jobs, it's not about kingdoms. It's about making the ultimate choice of who is God. And all the other choices, they just kind of fit right in there. You make the right choices, you do the right things. And the future will be better because you'll make wise choices today. That's how you'll pass and build a godly legacy. You make right decisions. I read about a church that was celebrating their 50th anniversary. This is a church that was started by another church in town. It was a church plant. Kind of like how uh, West 7th was like the mother church and started some of the other congregations in town. You may not know that, but that's a part of our history. And this church did the same thing about 50 years ago. About 50 or more people from this church, you know, moved and started another church. And that new church, it was in a growing section of town, and grow it did. It became a huge church, and thousands gather there every Sunday. So a couple of years ago, when they were celebrating their 50th anniversary as a church, they wanted to do something to honor that home church, that one who started it all. And so they just, the two preachers were talking, they said, what can we do? Well, when the, the mother church, the older one, they, you know, didn't feel comfortable being on the receiving end. And they said, well, they looked around a little bit, and here's what they said. You know, we've had the same old church sign in our front yard for decades upon decades. It looks old. We'd love a new sign. So they put it out to bid. They landed a company to give them a nice, new, modern, updated sign that costed $12,000. Yeesh, that's a lot of money, preacher thought. He was sharing that with the preacher of the now newer, larger church. They said, don't worry about it. Glad to help to pay that $12,000 just by way of saying thank you. And again, the, the preacher of the mother church said this, I stumbled across something that I've never heard and never read I don't know if you know this, but on the last Sunday in June of 1962, when 53 people stood up and they committed to start this new church, the elders gave them a check to help launch the new church. Seed money, if you will. Guess how much the check was for? $12,000. See, God is not uninvolved in our story. As a church, as a family, as a person... God's with us every step of the way and will continue to be. When his people make good choices, God is there and he smiles and he blesses you. When you make bad choices, God responds as well. He'll send a spirit to convict you of sin, to help you know and understand you've made the wrong choice. And when you repent, God responds. Wipes you clean. Makes you one it seems like your story has come to an end, God can step in and make it new. Let's pray. God, we know that you are on the throne and that you respond to your people in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our questions. You're right here for us and with us, and we thank you, God, that you're so concerned for us even individually that you know the number of hairs on our head, you know every thought that we have, every deed that we've done, and you love us. Thank you for being a God who loves us just as we are, but doesn't leave us that way. Father, help us to have a heart that's turned to you so that people, when they think of us, They can say that our hearts are fully committed to you. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a song to encourage you. As we worship, maybe for you it's just a private prayer that you'll make good choices, the right choices. If we can pray for you publicly, that you can be dedicated to the Lord, to walk in his way, leave that legacy not just privately but for all who know you to know that you are one with the Lord for today is the day you need to accept salvation through Jesus Christ the water is always ready for him to wash you clean there is joy in the world because Jesus has come let's stand and sing as we worship